Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 5 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that has no idea what shaft you should put in your driver, but does talk about the stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and today's episode is all about something that really does matter to the game, because it's one of the top reasons cited by people for either giving golf away completely or not playing nearly as much. Yes, today's topic is slow play. Now, I can almost feel the anger and the seething welling up in listener land at the mere mention of the problem, because the fact is that slow play is one of golf's oldest chestnuts. But despite decades of trying to crack it, the problem only ever seems to get worse instead of better. So today, we're going to try to unpick some of the causes of slow play, the influence of professional golf in this area, and we're also going to talk to a man who may just have at least a partial, partial solution, at least for the amateur game. So without further ado, let me introduce today's panel and guest. Panelist number one has been one of the great chroniclers of the slow play problem, and a quick search of his website this morning turned up literally hundreds of references <laughs> to the issue. He is, of course, Jeff Shackelford of jeffshackelford.com, and he joins us from sunny LA. Jeff, welcome to you. Thank you, Rod. And yes, I, I actually have a slow play uh, category on the website. If you want to just read about slow play, it's, uh, it is a bit of an obsession of mine. Uh, I did do a little bit of that this morning. And yes, there is no shortage of, uh, of material there. And in fact, much of that material comes from our panelist number two today. He hails from the birthplace of the game. And as a Scotsman, John Huggan has a birthright to despise slow play with even more friend, more vigor than our friend Shackelford. John Huggan, I know you hate the game, uh, the slow play. Welcome to today's show. Thank you very much. And you're right, I hate them all. Yes, I Unlike you, Huggy, normally you're so positive, but uh, on this particular issue, I know that it's not uh, not your favourite. And our guest today hails from Australia, and he's put an awful lot of time, effort and money into trying to solve the slow play problem. He's the organiser of the Sydney Invitational Pro-Am Tournament, a pretty handy player in his own right, maintaining a handicap of plus figures. Don't we hate people like that? His name is John Small, and he joins us from what is... A flooded, wet, and horrible Sydney this morning. John, you survived the trip to school and back, I understand. Yeah, I did, Rod. Thanks. Yes, thanks for inviting me. Uh, this should be an interesting discussion. It should indeed. John, I'll just get you to move your microphone a little bit away from your mouth there. I can hear a bit of your breathing, and you are coming through a bit loud and clear. Give me a quick test. Okay, then. That sounds much better. Outstanding. Outstanding. Gents, I wanted to, to start this morning with a quote that, interestingly enough, I found on Shackelford's site. And it reads like this. The evil of slow play is that it imposes the will of a minority upon the majority. I can hear you bristling at the thought of that, John Huggin. Slow play is essentially a problem of selfishness, is it not, Huggy? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, what it basically comes down to is it's, it's bad manners. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and it's an epidemic. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, even you mentioned that, you know, I, I'm from Scotland, where we're supposed to, we have this reputation supposedly for playing quickly and I, and I do believe that we do play a wee bit faster than uh, the people that play golf in the, the land where Jeff resides but <laughs> the uh, the problem is definitely getting worse here I mean uh, if if you tell me that people are giving up golf or playing less golf then I am typical because I'm certainly playing a lot less golf and I'm in the point of giving up golf because it's so slow I mean I got to the point where when I was a member of a golf club I 
I stopped playing in the medals unless I was first off. It was driving me that, you know, it just drove me crazy. Yeah, that, and that would not be an, uh, an uncommon reaction. Jeff, uh, let's try and pick apart firstly as one who's followed it so quickly. It, it seems to me the problem with this slow play thing is it's a moving target, isn't it? A, if you went into a room full of golfers and said, hands up everybody who plays slow, uh, you wouldn't have your view obstructed too much because no one had put their hand up. And B, it's almost like a moving target. Has anybody ever actually nailed down what causes slow play? Well, they haven't because there are multiple causes. Um, as you know, I, I rant and rave about uh, the technology issue. And one of the things that was really, it has been very difficult to explain to people is that uh, when you throw off the dynamics of a course, let's say you take a par five uh, that was designed to be a, a three shot par five to get people away, and now the entire field in a tournament can reach it. Or even at the everyday level at a golf course where a par 5 becomes reachable, a drivable par 4 changes, uh, some dynamic creates a weight, you then um, throw off the entire golf course if if it's a full golf course. And so it's been very difficult to get people to understand that there's an architectural component to slow play. And then, of course, there's the um, uh, two other things that are just just brutal uh, now these days. There's the... the, uh, sort of this sense of entitlement that I cannot prepare for my shot until my playing partner has played. And, and part of it's entitlement, part of it is out of respect. But players have this notion that, we, God forbid, I'd be um, uh, talking to my caddy and getting ready to play my shot while the other player's uh, going. And then something that I watched uh, that I thought was worse than ever this year at, at Riviera during the uh, tour event there, is this uh, this fragility uh, where where if there are people on a tee and there's a green near a tee, I actually watch players stop at the fringe of a green and wait for the players to tee off on the next hole uh, before even walking on the green. And so you have this another dynamic where the thing we love about tees and greens being close together is now another uh, problem that adds to the slow play. We call that the Monty effect, don't we, Huggy? He could hear a butterfly land down at the other end of the hole, couldn't he? So nobody's allowed to move within 100 metres. Yeah, when Monty retires, he's going to be the chief marshal for every tournament in the history of the game from now on. Indeed. (laughs) Guys, you talk about uh, selfishness. Uh, I mean, that selfishness comes to just, in some respects, arrogance. And but there's also ignorance, um, and the ignorance and arrogance creates a lot of those those problems. But the other things that come about too now are, are age, health, and ability. I mean, you know, the health of people they still want them to play or still allow them to play, or and they don't put them in carts when they you know when they're still walking. Age being you know very old or also very young, and that you know that. Uh, ignorance of how to play quickly and obviously ability you know there are some people out there now playing on 36 you know that heaven forbid we ever extend in australia you know the maximum handicap went from 27 to 36 for men and from 36 to 45 so now you've got people out there you know having you know nine shots more or 10 shots or 12 shots more than they were before and and the other is as you mentioned course design and course preparation you know my club in sydney um very tight fairways if they don't mow fence to fence you know in autumn when all the leaves fall mate you can't find your ball in the rough so all of these things create slow play 
Yeah, but not, all of them end up, you know, in five-hour-plus rounds. Yeah, you, you would know what the rough looks like playing off plus one, John, so don't be spinning that old chestnut to us. Just before we go any further, let's try and agree. I mean, slow play is a pretty generic term. Let's. I want to get from each of you just a two-word response to this. How long should it take for four players to play 18 holes at the amateur level? Jeff Shackleford. Three and a half hours, but you said two words, so <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, I get, I get, I get your point. Huggy, what would you think? I agree with Jeff in four words. Three and a half. John, John Small, where are you? Four. Four hours? Oh, I would probably have said four hours as well, which is maybe telling in itself that four hours has become the accepted norm to some people. I want to split the amateur and professional slow play problems because I think they're probably two different things. And I know, Shaq, that it does have an effect, but frankly, I don't really care how long the pros take to play. I mean, it's a bit offensive, but they're only hurting their own product if they don't do something about it. It's, it's more the, the week-to-week golfers and the people who are leaving the game because of slow play. Huggy, not an unusual scenario, the one that you painted, uh, and particularly if you looked at somebody who was, let's say, in mid-30s to early 40s with a couple of kids, you can't get out on a Saturday morning and tell your wife that you're going to take yeah you're going to be gone for seven or eight hours because it's going to take you five hours to get around the course uh, by the time you've had the day it's the whole day it really is an issue that is driving people from the game isn't it well it's certainly true i mean uh, you know we're unlucky enough to be born into the generation that uh, where wives seem to have more control over husbands than uh, <laughs> certainly my mother had over my father he used to just disappear for the whole weekend and never be seen again till sunday night he was on the golf course the whole time and um, when I had got married and had kids, uh, that certainly wasn't the case. But uh, so you're right. I mean, it, it's 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 partly a, a social thing, and it's affected golf badly because it it does take, you know, even at the best of times, it takes quite a long time to play a round of golf. Yeah. So I think that's certainly part of it. But um, I mean, I, I, I disagree slightly about the the, the pro separating the pro game from the amateur game. I think that the pro game is, is such a big influence. Mm, they're role models, aren't they? Exactly, and and they mm-hmm. and they get copied. I mean, yeah. you know, I've told this story before. Um, I, I carried for our good friend Mike Clayton in the Heineken Classic at Royal Melbourne a few years ago, and in the same group was uh, the French guy Christian Sever, who's notoriously slow and and proved to be even slower than that once we got going. And after about even just five or six holes, you know, the group was out of position. The referee appeared. And suddenly, miraculously, Christian Sever suddenly had a, a, a much you know, shorter pre-shot routine than he'd had before. The referee stayed for two or three holes. We got back in position. Referee goes away. Christian Sever went back to you know, what he'd been doing before. I wanted to kill the guy. <laughs> it's <laughs> a wonder Clayton didn't. I was going to say, John Small, you know Clayton's pretty well. One can only imagine how colourful the language must have been. <laughs> As, uh, as that unfolded on the golf course. Shaq, are you in Huggy's camp here? Do you think that the professional uh, influence is stronger than perhaps I'm giving it credit for? Yeah, yeah. We have to start there. And when you haven't, when the PGA Tour hasn't given a stroke play penalty uh, or a slow play penalty in 16, well, now I take that back. It's, it's now, uh, oh, it's been too long. Anyway, it was uh, 1992. Uh, and so, it, it, Absolutely. People watch that. Kids watch that. Even regular golfers. So you're, they're picking up the bad habits of not playing ready golf. Now they're going to pick up the bad habits of this notion of having to stand still while um, um, somebody's preparing their shot. Not even over the ball, just preparing the shot. Uh, all of that, absolutely, I think is it has to start at the pro game. They have to set an example. And, you know, one of the things that I've 
wanted to see for for a long time um, is is a, a tournament where we we see a, a nine hole round or nine hole matches just to legitimize that because one of the things that when, when you're talking about scaring people off from the game is this amount of time. Well, one of the things that that would help uh, the game a lot is to have the nine hole round legitimized more. And now with the handicap system able to accommodate that, uh, which I think was a big problem in in making nine hole rounds seem wrong. Um, you know, we, we, we have to do something because we're, I, I don't know if we're going to ever be able to speed up the game to the point where we're happy. Um, but we certainly can do some things and it has to start at the pro level. It just has to. Yeah, indeed. John, there's, uh, a, there's a lot of things there with the pro level that, that do too. I mean, TV must have an influence on it because you know, they all tend to not be prepared. They don't get ready. They wait until the other person has finished, basically clean the club and put it away before they then pull out the yardage book and then try to figure out how far it is. And, and you can see it on TV. And, and I think that the, they're a role model for the kids and the kids learn the wrong things up front. And I think that yardage books makes a, a, a problem when I watch it on TV. They're sitting there doing their sums with their pencil. They pull out a laser hit a button, they've got the yardage, no matter where they are. And uh, I think that, you know, there are tools out there that can improve the speed of play. I think that range finders and, and lasers do make a difference. They do speed up play. I don't know what others think of that. I, I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I, I played with two gentlemen at uh, Victoria, actually, who both had range finders, and we had to wait uh, until the flag was put in the hole. Oh. And so I, while I had my yardage, they would bark out, oh, you need a yardage. And I said, well, no, actually, I did that while we were waiting for them to butt out. <laughs> um, so I, I think they help when somebody is off the fairway and, and off the beaten track and needs a yardage and doesn't want to spend a lot of time. And in pro golf, that would help tremendously. But I've, I know a lot of college coaches, and they've told me that the kids, and as the tournament uh, unfolds and, and they get closer to um, the crunch time, they end up uh, doing shooting the yardage and walking off the yardage from the sprinkler head, which ends up you know kind of defeating the whole purpose. So I think they have a, a place, but I don't know how much they really they really help but maybe there's some some evidence that, that says otherwise yeah indeed let's get on to some of the the possible solutions there's been all sorts of things have been suggested over the years for various things at the professional level i think you've put on the hit on the main one there both of you shackleford and uh, and huggy if they were to just uh penalize the players strokes you'd get a pretty good reaction we saw that on the lpga didn't we huggy i think they they penalized a girl a few years ago in the last round of a major on about the 10th hole for slow play and i remember it was quite controversial at the time and and whatnot but uh, slow play seems less of a problem on those two as where they're prepared to uh, to have the one sh- or the shot penalties do you think that if they were to if the administrators were to start in Enforcing this more often, we've seen the USGA at their amateur events enforcing penalties of strokes. Uh, does that seem to be working? Do you think, Huggy? Is is that really just the only way to go at the professional level? Well, I agree that the, you know the women certainly. Um, Katrina Matthew, who's one of the you know the leading players on the LPGA tour, she's a good friend of mine, and she reports that the, it's less of a problem simply because the officials are prepared to take action. Mm. The players have you know decided that they're they're going to give the officials the authority to actually do something which doesn't seem to be the case in the men's game. But you, you also mentioned the USGA, and just on a tangent to, to that is that, I mean, I lived in America for eight years, and I was amazed when I went there and found out that every single time you go out, no matter how many holes you play, no matter just a bounce game with your mates, 
It, you've got to count every shot. Every every yep. round has to. Every nine hole game has to count for your handicap. So there's this obsession with you know everybody has to haul out on every mm-hmm. hole. I was I was going out and playing with people. And I you know I just go out and bat the ball around basically and don't even keep score. But they're they're adding everything up. They're filling in cards and all of that takes time. Mm, the USGA is responsible for that. Yeah, it's, that's a real cultural thing, isn't it, John Small? In Australia here, we play a lot more Stableford, where if you've already had six shots and you haven't hold out, pick the ball up and move on to the next. I think in America they play predominantly stroke play, and certainly the stroke and medal events on a Saturday morning at the average club around Australia, certainly the rounds take an awful lot longer, don't they, when you have to hole everything out? They do. There's no doubt about that. I think the other thing, too, is, is that, you know... Uh, People are are time sensitive, as has been spoken about, but that time sensitivity is for the people that want to hit off very early in the morning or be first off in the afternoon fields. It's the, you know, the retirees, you know, that have finished, that aren't time sensitive, and and they can, they tend to be able to want to spend, you know, four and a half, five hours on the course. They're not in a rush to get to work or they're, they're not in a rush to, you know, finish their round. And I think that, you know, time sensitivity uh, has to be uh, looked at by the clubs, you know, when they look at those things. You, uh, you also talked about there was the, the young amateur in the, uh, the US amateur, that, uh, the junior amateur, he had a hole in one, hole in one. and was penalised two shots. <laughs> That's right. Greatest par ever made. Yep. Hit, hit the ball once and made three. Um, and I think uh, certainly on that, you mentioned entitlement, Jeff, and I've certainly noticed when you, you play, the odd chance you get to play at some of those more expensive golf courses, that really becomes an issue, doesn't it? People figure they've paid their 150 bucks; They'll take as long as they damn well like. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, the more you pay, there's no question, yeah. the more people believe that they, they better get their money's worth and haul out. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, yeah, you see that, my God. The worst at Pebble Beach uh, and places like that, where you've spent five hundred dollars, and uh, well, don't you have to stay there as well, Shaq? I think the minimum end up costing about a thousand. But don't know by the time it's all said and done, the cheapest eighteen uh, holes at Pebbles are grand. Yeah, these days they're they're, they're I think a little more willing to take you if you uh, if you stand around and hang around and annoy them long enough. But um, but there's no question that 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 American uh, golfers are probably the worst in that sense of. Uh, uh, and again, they just don't know any better from watching televised golf. There's one match play event a year. Uh, there's nothing where the nine hole round is where we see anything other than 18 holes and finishing every shot and every hole and, and posting a score. And that's the only way the game is played. And so they don't know any other way. And, and it's just deadly. Yep. All right. There's some of the problems, and look, we could rant and rave about it all day, and we could give examples, and it'll all be fantastic. But let's come to John Small, the really interesting part of today's discussion, which is this Solution 240. This is the name you've given to a program <laughs> that you have come up with. I'll let you explain how it works and some of the feedback that you've had, because it does seem really interesting. I think you've got two clubs in Sydney have uh, have bought into the system, have they not? They have, yes. So how how does it work? Just just give us a quick thumbnail sketch of what solution two right. solution two forty two forty minutes to play around the golf was how we named it. But what it is, it's a web based application. Each group carries a GPS tracking unit, and it pings their GPS location every three minutes. So it's in a waterproof, ruggerized case. It could actually go out today in the floods and still ping away. <laughs> so as each group hits off, it's it. Uh, it tracks exactly what their starting time is and so forth, so the, the data behind it is accumulating all the time. But in real time, what it's doing is pinging their GPS location and then reflects where they are on the course using mapping software. Mm-hmm. So the, in the clubhouse, the, you know, the general manager, the director of golf, the pro shop, the committee can be looking at the map 
from anywhere because it's web-based. They could be sitting on Hamilton Island in the sun and seeing exactly where every group is and determine if anybody's out of position. So in real time, they can say, okay, there's a problem with group six, put the mouse over that and they can see exactly who those players are and then go and fix the problem in real time. And I think that's the difference. Rather than getting to nine holes or the end of the round and everybody coming in and uh, you know bitching and moaning about how bad it was and how slow it was or how Billy Black or Ray Roth were slow players, they can fix the problem in real time. And if you fix the problem in real time, then people come in a lot happier and enjoying their golf. Right. So the, the notion of the course, Marshall, has always been that he'll sort of do laps of the course and as he sees problems or people falling behind he'll give that group a hurry up or tell them to skip a hole as they do at St Andrews as I found out some years ago or whatever needs to be done but of course you can only do that for what's in front of him so I suppose the advantage of what you're talking about is you can pinpoint from the clubhouse where the problem is and go straight there is that how the clubs are using it are they actually sending people out onto the course having seen a problem in a certain area yes Okay. Yes, you're dead right. Well, see, a marshal, he drives around the course, normally in reverse order, starting at the 18th and drives around, and it can take him 45 minutes to drive around the course. So if he's past the, the 16th, he's not going to get back around there for another 40 minutes or so. And as, as was spoken about, you know, the, the marshal drives around, all of a sudden they speed up play, the marshal drives away, you know, and he's only on one hole at any point of time. Mm. With Solution 240, what you've got is 18 marshals or a marshal on every hole every minute of the day that you want to be looking at the map. Yep. Um, what we've done also is to create a status monitor that will allow you to have a, a basically a, a speed bar. So for every group, it will show green if they're playing ahead of scheduled time when they reach various intervals on the course. So, you know, after six holes, they've got to reach six holes in, you know, one hour and 20 minutes. If they've reached it in one hour and 20 minutes, it's green, and the, all of the groups will show a colour of a green, yellow, and red. As soon as you've got a yellow, it means that, oh, okay, they're only playing at expected speed, and if it's red, you've got a problem, again, go look at the map. So instantaneously, you can see not only where they are on the course and if they're out of position, but you can also see whether they're playing at the ex- at the expected speed of play. Okay. I've actually had a look at you – show, you, you ran me through it. I came down to your office one day and you showed me how it looks and it was a, an interesting piece of uh, software and gives you a whole lot more information. But I just want to get your initial reactions, both Shackleford and Huggy. We'll start with you, Shack. How does that sound to you? It seems to make a bit of sense, doesn't it? If you know where everybody is on the course and what they're doing, uh, you can sort out problems as they, as they come up. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Uh, because the, the, the worst thing about slow play is not when somebody, a group in front of you has a bad hole and they start to fall behind. But when you have to watch that for about three or four holes, it just festers. You start, you know, you get the people leaning on the club, the, the traditional angry stance. And that's where it just, everybody understands when you have a bad hole and you lose a ball and you fall behind. But then when you watch these groups uh, stay out of position and nobody does anything about it <laughs> and you're out there and, I mean, you know, I know with cell phones, people call the pro shop now. And, and here in the States, uh, we have uh, GPS on carts, but you'd obviously like to keep people walking. So I, I, I love it. I think it sounds fantastic. Indeed. It might start to eliminate some of those gun problems you have on the golf course from time to time too, Shaq. Uh, I was stu- <laughs> stunned to see how many of those stories turned up in your slow play category. It really is depressing. It's one of the things as a blogger I found uh, probably Probably uh, most shocking in the last two years is how much uh, golf course violence is attributed to uh, yeah. slow play. I think there was one just last week, wasn't it? Like a, a 
iron shafts snapped yeah, in the yeah, leg. Yeah, yeah, it was oh, ugly. Horrendous, horrendous. Huggy, do you reckon that sort of thing might work in Scotland? How does the basic idea of what John's outlined there strike you? Well, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the first step to, towards finding a solution is identifying the problem. And if you can identify the, you know, the specific problem, i.e. player in this instance, you can do something about it pretty quickly, as John has already pointed out. You send someone out and you either have them removed or you give them a kick up the backside. Or, or as uh, Jerry Tardy, who's the editor at Golf Digest, once asked uh, the late, great Peter De Bruyne, how he would make the magazine better, and De Bruyne's answer was he would go around the office and shoot every third person. So, uh, and if you got really lucky, you'd kill the right people. So uh, that might be. I was speaking of guns. That might be the might be the ultimate sanction for uh, for slow play. No, oh, one of your absolute best, Huggy. That is platinum. See, the other the other thing is too is is that you've got the real time situation of solving it, but also as you said, is go in and ask who are the slow players. The slow players don't think that they're slow. But if you've got data behind it to be able to sit down with them and say, listen, Bill, here are your rounds. You play in four hours, 34 hours, 40. Here you are playing in five hours. And Solution 240 also creates a database for every player and, and has all of their results for the last three months or 20 rounds so that the captain or the general manager can sit down with the slow players and justify why they want to put them at the tail of the field or give them a rest for a couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. Well, Has this... there been any sanctions, John? I mean, have people been suspended or what, what's occurred so far? Um, interesting. Well, at, at, at Monash, yeah, they, they write letters. They use the reports and then give them a, a letter saying... You played the group in the three groups in front of you played in four hours. You know, you played in four hours twenty. You finished twenty minutes behind. Is there a reason? You know, if not, then we will be you know, we're going to monitor it. And if you are slow again, we will you know bring you in in front of the 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 captain, yeah. and so they will send them. Oh, they'll they they'll just say, listen, you you've been suspended for two weeks. You can't play. They they do. Um, really, they write letters and they bring them in and talk to them now because they've actually got hard, fast evidence that these people are slow. Mm, and many yeah. clubs know who the slow players are, but mm. you know, it, it, they just need to be able to have something. At Oatlands, they had a, a name and shame where they'd actually put the report up <laughs> and highlight the people in red. Mm. And now I tell you, you don't want to be on that list. <laughs> no. no. No, and you I don't. That, that was when I first heard it. I thought, "Oh my God, that's never going to happen at my club." But the 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 results were that they were playing fifteen twenty minutes quicker than they were oh. ever before, yeah. because people now some of them the, the the first players out in the morning they still play in three hours fifteen. It's it's the the people as I said that aren't time sensitive or are slow players that really were more conscious of that and didn't want to be on that list. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about, John. Because you mentioned something to me when I came to see you in your office that there's been this extraordinary placebo effect where by handing each group the GPS unit, you've instilled in them a subconscious thought, you've planted it, that they're on the clock the whole time. And there's there's been some evidence to suggest that just that alone has helped at both of these clubs, both Oatlands and Monash, hasn't there? Yeah, yes, it does. But then again, it, it's this is a fantastic tool, but if the club's not prepared to do something with it, then it, you know, it's not quite as effective as it can really be. But again, it can be uh, a, a time thing where you could uh, 
have you know every uh, three months you have a sale well every three months you have a blitz and uh, and and make people realize that you are doing it that uh, you're not going to hound them every minute of the day that i've got to say too though is, is that the gps unit is is very small fits in this you know the waterproof case it's mm. you know not much bigger than a, a cigarette packet, you know, and it just clips onto the onto the bag or onto the cart, and um, and it's it's non obtrusive. It's not really, you know, people say, oh, it's Big Brother watching, but after a while, uh, the the members get used to it and say, okay, where's my unit? And people want to take it. It's the slow players that are, that are reticent and, and objectionable mm-hmm. about taking it out early on. But the reality is, is if everybody can, you know, play at a quicker pace. It's a far more enjoyable game for everybody, and the clubs have got to like it too. Because if you're in the bar earlier, there's more bar trade. People stay a little longer. There's a lot of benefits in in speeding up play mm. for everybody. Yeah. The, the unit itself is just a cell phone, isn't it, John? Just a little, a little Correct. cell phone, little little mobile phone, which comes in a, a case, which is obviously a little bit bigger, but it's uh, it's pretty good. Huggy, something I wanted to ask you about. It seems to me that one of the issues about slow play is the lack of education of players when they first start to play the game. We rely on this self-policing notion. When you go and join a golf club in Australia, you just pay your money, you sign up on the timesheet for Saturday morning, and away you go. Nobody knows whether you can play golf, whether you know anything about the game, uh, whether you you know whether you can actually even even hit the ball. Um, it's my understanding that in some parts of Europe, I think particularly in Sweden, that when you join a golf club there are certain um benchmarks you've got to meet before they will let you go on the course do you know if that's true and is there some merit to that as a notion that we become more proactive when people take up the game about some of these issues not just being able to hit the ball but etiquette and slow play and how to keep things moving well the you're right i mean in, in the continent of europe it's different from uh, you know the british isles i mean it's much what we've got a you know a long-standing culture of playing quite quickly where I come from. But if you take Sweden as an example, I mean, they, they go in for all kinds of education uh, for youngsters in terms of, you know, etiquette and, you know, how to play and, you know, swing technique and everything. But the irony of that is that the uh, the slowest players on the European Tour are nearly all Swedish. <laughs> so I'm not sure that that's actually working too well. I mean, I think, you know, much as I disliked it, Growing up as a kid at, in Scotland, where we got treated abominably at times by the you know the adult members, we did learn how to play quickly just to keep out of the way. You know, we grew up playing quickly just to you know to, to keep away from the adults most of the time. So that you know is has to be a good thing from a bad start. But and the good and the Swedish thing is the opposite. I mean, they're they're trying very diff, very hard to to make it you know to get people educated as to how what what golf is all about but they end up producing these really slow players so i mean i'm i'm i think john's thing is terrific because it it identifies the problem i mean it's just, it's just that simple Shaq, do you reckon there's been a change from when you started playing golf huggy seems to suggest that as a youngster they scampered around the course pretty quickly to stay out of the way of the adults do you think there's been a change from when you started to what you see now when you go out and play golf mm, that's hard to say because i've i've grown up in an area where uh, the golf courses are actually less crowded <laughs> than they were uh, 10, 15 years ago. So uh, play is actually uh, better. It used to be just even worse than, than it is now, which is unfathomable. But um, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm not a big fan of programs and things uh, geared at teaching people uh, this is how you do it. I, I, just, I believe, especially kids, 
and this is why I'm, I'm not a fan of the first T program we have here. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of kids going out and kind of learning uh, by observation and experience and, uh, and, and people leading by example. And I think slow play is another area where, uh, you know, some sort of a cultivated program to try and uh, teach people how to play faster. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll just reject that. And uh, one other thing I want to say about John's uh, concept, which is really neat. It's, it's, it's just sad that golf pros and people who run golf courses have to basically become policemen. And so anything that gets them out of the, um, the crosshairs and having to be yelled at or having to, to, to go up and discipline people uh, where they can actually just show them mm. uh, uh, that they're slow is, is a wonderful thing because nobody wants to go into the golf business to become a, a disciplinarian and a police officer. And, and, uh, and, and it's just stunning the abuse they get for, for – trying to do their job and marshals golf course marshals will be the first to tell you this you know they're usually the nicest guy in the the neighborhood and they still get they get yelled at and abused and uh uh so when you have something tangible to point people to i think that's fantastic it certainly makes the marshal far more effective uh, there's no doubt about that or obsolete in essence but if it makes them obsolete <laughs> then the then the responsibility falls to someone someone else and in australia now and i'm and i i don't know in a, in america or or, um, or england or scotland whether how the the business arrangements work but in australia many of the uh, professionals are retained and paid a retainer and run their own business. There are a few clubs that's becoming more prevalent where the clubs are taking over the pro shops, but where the the pro owns his own business, it's very difficult for him to go out on the course mm. and berate someone for being slow and then try to turn around and sell them a set of golf clubs, yeah. you know, 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. later. And so yeah. you'll find that it's difficult for them to go out and really give the guy a gobful if he's been, you know, a persistent offender. Yeah, mm. indeed. John, what interested me when I came to see the, the, the thing in action, and we watched live, I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and we, we were watching live the play unfolding at the Oatlands Golf Club here in Sydney where they had the, the units out there. The amount of information that you're collecting, I would imagine that you've sort of discovered some things you maybe didn't think about prior to, and it, it struck me that what this system would partly help to do if there was a part of the course that particularly always had a problem. There might be a par three where things back up or... or there. Have you been surprised by any of the information that's come back and have either Oatlands or Monash discovered anything about what they do that impacts slow play rather than it necessarily being all the players? Because some some slow play is caused in part by, you know, perhaps we all know a difficult first hole means a slow round of golf because lots and lots of people take a long time to play the first hole. Have you got lots of water there or OB or those sorts of things? Any of that sort of information turned up? The answer is yes, but the... The information that they've found, they've already known in many cases, and that is how long people stop at the halfway. Oh, okay. Um, you know, at, at Oatlands, for example, and, and at Monash, uh, in the afternoon uh, rounds, the people are staying, you know, stopping after nine holes and then going in, having a drink, having something to eat, and, uh, and it can be, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So that in itself can get you going towards five hours very quickly. Mm. You know, if it was, you know, splash and dash or just, you know, quick bite and go, uh, that will speed up play. I know at my club, 
you know, in summer, the the length of time that people stop at the halfway, you know, extends enormously in the afternoon. And they're finding that, you know, how do we get around that? You know, do we have to change the food that we have in the halfway bar so it's not sit down and eat it with a knife and fork type of thing? Um, every course is different. Some courses, you know, they don't let them stop in winter because of the short uh, the short number of uh, daylight hours. Daylight hours, yeah, indeed. John, it's, mm. a, it's a really interesting concept. What does it cost? I mean, if a club is thinking of going to this, and I know there must be a cost. You're talking about some fairly, uh, well, it's much cheaper technology than it used to be, but it's not cheap. What sort of outlay would a club to be looking at to institute the system? How many units do you need, and and and, and how much does it cost to maintain and run and charge them all and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. The 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 cost of the actual application is seven thousand five hundred dollars. Then the clubs have to decide how many units they need, or we determine what's the best approach. And when we first launch the product we saw that you know a, a unit would go out with every group now you know you roll units over uh, we built the product so that it's very easy to roll these units over for the morning rounds to the afternoon rounds the 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 premium would be sort of if you've got a field of you know 200 or 220 players you know you would need 40 units which would cover you know the morning field and the first of the afternoon and then roll the units over and you're probably looking in total at around $14,000 for a an applet yeah the full suite and then your only ongoing cost is the GPS tracking. Now, the, the in the, each of the phones is a SIM card that just you know, pings the data, and we deal here in Australia with Telstra, you know, and have a, a monthly charge. And that monthly charge you know, works out per unit, uh, and about ten dollars per unit. Oh. So, you know, if they've got forty units, your ongoing cost is four hundred dollars a month. So not insignificant to set up, but I suppose if the benefits uh, come back, I, I imagine you've had feedback from both of the clubs that have outlaid the cash. Have they been happy with their investment price and value? Obviously, are two different things. Well, if you're in, improving the speed of play by, say, 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes can be two rounds. That can be eight people. So, you know, if eight people are paying a competition fee or a green fee in some cases, green fees, comp- competition fees, you know, um, food at the halfway, drinks and food at the end, yeah, you can be returning, you know, three, $400 a day just in that regard. So, you know, if you're paying $400 a month, you know, for your uh, ongoing costs, you know, you can be uh, getting that return back very, very quickly. Yeah, indeed. Jack, do you think John Small can expect a phone call from Tim Fincham? Uh, no, Tim actually <laughs> has his own slow play detection system called ShotLink, and the tour has numbers on every player. They know exactly who's slow, who's not. I even wrote a column saying that they needed to come up with a bonus pool and since I know they'll never image-wise reveal who the bottom 20 or 30 players are, at least tell us who the top 50 fastest oh, players are and I get a sponsor, that. get yeah. Easy Lube or somebody yeah. with uh, you know, uh, Domino's Pizza, somebody who is involved with speed and wants to advertise speed and reward the top 30 players uh, who are fastest because they actually detect the, the time between a player uh, reaching his ball and hitting their shot, and they have all this data and uh, – um, they don't want to share it because they're obsessed with uh, with with not dealing with this problem. Maintaining. I, I wonder what that costs to uh, to run uh, with absolutely zero benefit. Well, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, collect all that data just so that you can hide well, it. Hug. Yeah. <laughs> it is part of their bigger shot link system, so yeah. it it's something they kind of stumbled on, I think, uh, in the writing of the software. But 
Uh, the shot link was not cheap. Let's put it that no, way. No, that's exactly right. Huggy, right back to the very beginning, one of the problems with slow play, particularly at the professional level, but it's same at all levels of golf, a group can only move as fast as its slowest player. It's like a microcosm of the field, isn't it? I mean, Clates plays pretty quickly, but on that day, he's only playing as quickly as Christian Savar, isn't it? What sorts of things can we do about trying to encourage people within a group? How do you go about that? It can be awkward, can't it? If somebody's a slow player and you're stuck in the group with them, uh, you don't really want to get into a whole uh, bad vibe thing with people, do you? Saying, come on, mate, hurry up. Cattle prods. <laughs> Sorry for well, a that, That's certainly part of the problem is that, you know, the, the, you know, the inherent, you know, politeness, if you like, of, of golfers. I mean, we, as you say, we don't, you know, you don't want to get involved in being obnoxious or, and falling out with your playing partners because A, it's not pleasant to, to begin with and B, you know, it's going to affect your game as well. You're presumably going to get upset. And, but all of that just adds to, you know, the fact that the, the, the slow player gets away with it. And yeah. uh, the sooner, you know, more people are prepared to be obnoxious, perhaps, uh, the better. But, uh, you know, there's so many factors. I mean, you can blame so many people. I mean, I blame sports psychologists. I mean, they drummed mm-hmm. into people, yep. you know, since they became fashionable. You must stick to your routine. You've got to go through your routine. And if yep. you, your routine's interrupted, you... You go back to the beginning and start again. Well, you know, I mean, that all takes forever. They've gone a step further now. They tell them not to hit until you absolutely are ready. They've actually, some of them have budged. It's, it's gotten worse. It's not just the pre-shot routine having to go exactly as ordered. Now they're telling them to, to just not hit until you're ready. That's where we get the Keegan Bradley, uh, uh, Webb Simpson, Jonathan Bird kind of thing, mm. which is yeah. just what incredible. We need a list of people here that that we need to kill. Sports <laughs> psychologists, um, oh, Swedish golfers, Christians. Uh, <laughs> Can't we just go every third person, Huggy, and hopefully we'll get some of the right well, people? But you, you have to get lucky that you've got to kill. You've got to get lucky yeah. for the right. You know, or, so. or we can take the data from John Small's system and uh, so one of us is to, I was just going to say, mate, I'm glad. Uh. I'm glad I live in a remote area. I should be fairly safe. <laughs> Indeed, you can't reach me. It's bloody. No, that's right, John. Is there any sort of evidence from the club? Have you had much feedback? I mean, about um, that problem of you know there might be a particular group that plays every Wednesday or Saturday, and that group seems to always run behind. And when they're confronted with that information, three of the turners players turn on the fourth and say, "Joe, we always knew you were slow." You've got to pick up the pace. Have you had any anecdotal evidence about that sort of thing happening? No, nah, I mean, I, you know, the, I talk to the clubs about, uh, you know, the data and, you know, what do they want to see and they deal with it in their own right. You know, I mean, there is no doubt that they are using the data. Mm. Um, the beauty is, is that keeping data for each individual person, it's very difficult if the same four play together every week. Uh, you can then only base it on, you know, at the the time that they take versus, you know, the average. And you can't take an average because if, if half the field play in four hours and then the next bloke plays in four and a half, the rest of the field's going to play in four and a half hours. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, you've just got to build this data and be able to sit down with them. And, and as I said, is the clubs have to be strong as to how they use the data. Otherwise, the, the tool isn't anywhere near as effective. And, and if they do it in real time, then you don't need the data. If they fix the problem immediately, Immediately, you don't need the data. If yeah. you rely on the data, then you've, you're going to have problems in talking to people because, as you say, 
if you pay five hundred dollars to play at a, a particular course, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy the experience. And again, you know, coming down to you know, are they able-bodied golfers? I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a scratch marker or a twenty-four marker, you can still play very slowly. And conversely, you can still play pretty quickly, John. And I suppose yeah, that's the whole. Cards make goal. a difference too. I don't know what you find. You know, uh, the Sydney Invitational is we. The first year we ran it, we ran it nine years ago, and everyone was walking, and we finished within you know four and a half hours. Now I'm talking a field of two hundred and fifty-six. You know, two shotgun starts. You know, 128 players. The field was completely full. They walked in, you know, in in under four and a half hours. We went to carts thereafter for the last you know eight years, and every round's five hours because people don't know how to play cart golf either. If you've got someone sitting next to you, drop them off with some clubs, go over to where you are, and pick them up on the go. You know, and that's the way to play quick cart golf. I think a lot of people don't know how to play cart golf. No, and of course, cart golf is has been seeping into the fabric game over the last 30 years. Don't get Shackleford started on that. You really no. will be here all day about the evils or, of Carl. Or me, for that matter. Or you, Huggy. That's it. Don't, you, don't get you started on anything, Huggy. You pick a topic <laughs> and you, you'll have something to say about it. John Small, it'll be very interesting to see what uh, what information the clubs garner out of this system on an ongoing basis over the next year or two and what sort of things they find. I'm intrigued. I think you're going to find things you didn't expect to find and information you can use in ways to... Uh, Ways that you didn't expect to be able to, but uh, congratulations! It's an interesting sounding system, and we'll uh, we'll put a link on the on the podcast page for anybody who wants to go and check out Solution Two Forty. I assume you've got a website, have you? Uh, solution240.com.au Alright, we'll, uh, we'll put a link there for anybody who might be interested in having a look and having it all explained. And we thank you for taking some time today, mate. It's been fabulous to have you along. A pleasure. Interesting conversation. Yeah. Enjoyed it. It, uh, it always is. John Huggin from over there in Scotland, always fabulous to have you along, mate. Thank you for your input today. I'll remember that uh, shoot every third person thing. I, I really like that as a plan. It's uh, It's got some merit, hasn't it? Yeah, well, you... you I don't think it's ever been tried yet, but you know, good good luck with it if you do give it a go. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate yeah. appreciate your support. And Jeff Shackleford, always great to have you along, mate. Thanks for taking some time today. All right, thank you, Rod. And that wraps up State of the Game, Episode 5, Slow Play. I don't know, we've solved slow play, but we might have gone some of the way with Solution 240, and it always helps to talk about these things. Keep them at the forefront, and that's the way you end up solving problems. We'll be back next time. Not sure what the topic's going to be at this stage. We may try and track down Gil Hands, who it was announced today will be designing the Olympic golf course. So if we can uh, if we can t- track down Gil, we might have a chat to him. That'll be interesting. But either way, we'll have something worth talking about in a fortnight's time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.